Welcome to the Idea Pod, a podcast dedicated to exploring and interrogating professional biomedical and applied ethics here at the University of Leeds. For any new listeners, I am Gabby, a postgraduate researcher at the Idea Center and your host today. In this episode, we're going to drift away from our previous topics and we're going to be discussing a very peculiar thing, love drugs. This discussion will be inspired by the book Love Drugs, The Chemical Future of Relationships by Brian Earp and Julian Savulescu. The reference can be found in our notes. For this episode, we have a new guest, and she's a fellow postgraduate researcher at the center, Sophie Goddard. Welcome. Thank you, Gabby. So, Sophie, would you mind telling our audience more about your research and how this topic relates to it? Yeah, sure. So, uh, my research focuses on the philosophy of love, and in particular on sacrifices that we make in loving relationships. So that could be, for example, sacrificing our time or plans for a romantic partner, or it could be something more significant, such as sacrificing parts of our individual identity. And my interest in vulnerability comes in here because vulnerability plays an important role in loving relationships. So we usually find ourselves wanting to be vulnerable to our romantic partner, and we usually desire some vulnerability from them too. And making ourselves vulnerable in this way might involve a sacrifice in itself. So it can leave us in a position where we're susceptible to harm and emotional pain mm. in a way that we weren't before entering the relationship. Um, but that said, vulnerability is something which we value in loving relationships and particularly in romantic relationships. So when I started reading about love drugs, in particular anti-love drugs or breakup drugs, I was struck by their potential to remove this susceptibility to harm and emotional pain um, and started thinking about whether this could diminish our vulnerability in romantic relationships. So that, that might be considered a positive thing, but for me, as we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss, um, limiting this vulnerability may in fact be a negative for living relationships. I personally think that this is fascinating. The The idea, the mere idea of a breakup drug, I think is just, it, it has so many interesting ethical questions lurking around when we problematize about our emotions or um, to be more specific about limiting our own experience of pain or suffering, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, something that we see is an, a recurrent discussion in other uh, topics for applied ethics like euthanasia, uh, so the right to die with dignity, uh, to take that suffering and that pain away. But in this case, I think there are other elements to consider. We're talking about anti-lust, anti-attraction or anti-attachment drugs. Uh, they're suppressing something, right? Uh, what can be for some people a fundamental part of our experience and our development as humans. This is how mm -hmm. I see it. So um, I think it, it's important for us before we go ahead and discuss this in, in finer detail. So mm -hmm. could you tell us what exactly are these breakup drugs? Yeah, so breakup drugs re would refer to chemical interventions which aim at what you might call a cure for love. So something which has the ability to make us fall out of love with someone, or at least to diminish our love for them. 
And as you mentioned, Erpen Savalescu in the Love Drugs book um, split those into three kinds, reflecting what they call the uh, the three biological building blocks of romantic love, which are lust, attraction and attachment. So we already there are some drugs which can reduce our lust. So some antidepressants, some blood pressure pills, painkillers, tobacco, alcohol, all of those drugs have libido weakening effects, although in those cases they're un- usually undesired effects. Um, and then some drugs are used with the aim of reducing lust. For example, some American sex offenders are offered androgen blockers as a form of chemical castration as a condition for their parole. And I think that the ethics of those interventions are really interesting, but it's anti-attachment drugs which I'm interested in. So anti-attachment drugs, the aim of those would be to sever the attachment which we sometimes still feel towards an ex-romantic partner after a breakup. And currently these types of drugs don't exist, so the discussions in the book are, are just speculative. So I'll, I'll give you one example of the speculations in the book. So they discuss an experiment um, conducted by scientists with prairie voles. And prairie voles are a type of rodent, which are actually quite cute. Um, and if you, so they're usually socially monogamous. If you Google image them, you can find pictures of oh, them. Oh, that is in, cute. <laughs> yeah, in their little pairs. Um, and their monogamous behavior is apparently linked to oxytocin, um, which oxytocin is a hormone that plays a role in social bonding, sex and birth in mammals, including humans. Um, So usually after mating, the oxytocin levels in the voles would increase and they would form a monogamous bond. So in this study, uh, the voles were injected with oxytocin or oxytocin blockers. And it showed that increasing the oxytocin levels facilitated a bond even without the mating. And blocking the oxytocin prevented a bond even after mating, when usually a bond would be formed. That's not so cute. (laughs) Yeah, sorry (laughs) to sorry to ruin that image. But yeah, so you can see the the way they're going, the implications there. Um, But that kind of intervention hasn't been tested on humans, and of course, it might be quite hard to justify that ethically. Um, but they do, in the book, they do speculate on some other ways that we could manipulate our oxytocin levels when it comes to human attachments. So things like taking drugs such as cocaine and methamphetamine um, would raise our dopamine levels. So they suggest that if we were to do that before a sexual encounter, then the dopamine increase as a result of the sexual encounter won't be so high. And that in turn may decrease the sort of felt specialness of the sex. And that could potentially prevent an attachment from being formed. Um, And then they also speculate about some drugs which we could use to manipulate our memories of a certain person or manipulate the emotional reactions that we have when we see them with the aim of dissolving um, existing attachments. 
Oh, it's interesting that um, you mentioned that uh, sort of uh, erasing or manipulating the memories, because it, it reminds me um, about the technology used in um, the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yeah, uh, a very, yeah, very good movie. Uh, if you're not familiarized with the movie, basically the protagonist, a former couple, undergo a procedure to erase their relationship. So it is a type of breakup intervention that makes us um, as viewers question the role of phenomenological experience in a broader sense of human experience. So is it that, you know, this love or this uh, relationship that we establish a collection of memories or can phenomenological experience be constructed depending on what it is that we remember? So I think mm -hmm. overall it's, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. And, uh, but Despite some of the interesting features we can find in this discussion about, you know, the subconscious impulses or social interactions and the creation and recognition of the self, we're here to ask a very practical question. Mm. Should we develop these types of drugs? What is uh, your take on this? Why are some of the reasons given in favor of this development? Mm. So... I think the main reason would be to relieve suffering um so the emotional pain of a breakup and that seems like a really good reason mm -hmm. but i mean some people might think that the type of suffering that we're talking about in particular isn't always a bad thing so suffering can sometimes have instrumental value for example in sports and physical training physical pain can help us to improve and gain strength and resilience so we might think that there's some instrumental value in our emotional pain maybe it can help us to build emotional resilience right um yeah and then i think we might also think that to sever that attachment prematurely would prevent us from benefiting from other things such as the appropriate reflection which often takes place after a breakup so sometimes we kind of have some retroactive sense making after a breakup which can make a difference to our, how we understand the relationship, how we remember it, how we might learn from it for, for future relationships. But I guess not everybody would agree with those points. And even if we do agree, um, there are some cases in particular which might come to mind where we think that the suffering is just not worth this instrumental value. So they do use an example in the book, which is um, where someone's in love with their abuser and they're unable to get over them. And in that case, I think it's where the attachment is clearly dangerous and unhealthy. I think that if anti-attachment drugs could help that person to move on and seek a healthy relationship, then it seems uncontroversial that that would be a good thing. Right. So then we have... Um, some good arguments stating that it can be acceptable in extreme cases in which we suffer some sort of addiction, let's call it some sort of love addiction, um, in which cases it seems logical that if the type of bond we have created is hurting us in a physical or a mental way, then we have good enough reasons to preserve our well-being by attending our disease. So we see this as a problem, as a disease, and so these drugs will basically be a way of treating ourselves. So addictions usually, I would say, result in unreasonable, illogical, or any type of irrational behavior. Hence, treating cases like this 
the one you mentioned, seem to be acceptable as long as there are cases in which we're not just seeking an avoidance of painful experience, but rather fixing a chemical imbalance, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, but I am now curious because, okay, uh, a lot of people I think would agree, well, this seems like a good idea. Uh, it seems like a good way of, you know, treating people with with serious issues. But uh, what are some reasons we have to be against this type of drugs? Hmm. So aside from um, what we just spoke about, so the instrumental value that we might right. find yes. in breakups, yeah. Um, I think anyway that we have an important reason not to use these anti anti-attachment drugs in particular. Um, and that reason is related to vulnerability. So when we fall in love with someone, we make ourselves vulnerable to them and to the possibility of them causing us emotional pain. And that's, of course, not just related to breakups. So we can be hurt by them, angry at them and disappointed by them in the relationship as well. Um, and although we often see vulnerability as a bad thing, vulnerability does actually play a positive role in living relationships and it makes certain things possible which we find meaningful such as care and trust and intimacy um, so I would argue that anti-attachment drugs in their capacity to allow us to switch off our attachments at will have the potential to diminish this vulnerability by providing a kind of safety parachute um, and then in turn the potential to diminish the meaningfulness of our relationships Hmm, I see. So, I mean, obviously, vulnerability will be a key element mm. uh, for your argument. And uh, so that vulnerability um, arises from our state of love. If we're mm. in love, we are making ourselves vulnerable, exposing ourselves, and that's mm. part of how we live it. So um, this ability to become vulnerable the chance of caring for someone else I think can be tricky vulnerability seems like a tricky concept so um, I mean I'm not an expert of course but it speaks to me in a way that can be related to exploitation mm. so of course I can see the side that you're trying to um, show which is just how vulnerability has to do with care and trust but that care and trust also has another side which is you know by making us fragile, uh, mm -hmm. we are exposing ourselves to be dominated, controlled, manipulated, or even destroyed. So how do you see this tension? Mm. Yeah, I think that you're right. So through making ourselves vulnerable to someone else, we do risk being exploited by them. So that's one way that they could respond to our vulnerability. But as you also said, we also open up an opportunity for them to respond by caring for us, which is an important part of love. Mm -hmm. um, and we hope that they would make themselves vulnerable to us so that we can care for them too. Um, but I think you're right that vulnerability can be tricky. So there's definitely some context in which we don't want vulnerability to exist. So an example might be like an employee-employer relationship. So we don't want to open ourselves up to exploitation by our employer. Um, so in that kind of context, it would be desirable to remove or mitigate the vulnerability sort of altogether, maybe through laws which protect our rights as employees. But I think that loving relationships 
um, that's a different context. So particularly romantic relationships, vulnerability is something it is something that we desire and it does give value and meaning to our relationships. So, of course, it's true that we can be exploited by a romantic partner and that wouldn't be a good thing. Um, but it, it's also necessary to be able to open up a space for caring and some other important things. So it, I like that sort of idea of how vulnerability is opening up a space mm. to care about the other and, and, and it sort of sets up the relationship in, in a way that is uh, symmetric. So there seems to be something about that vulnerability, which is obviously a core aspect of the development of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there something else about that desire of mutual vulnerability, something about that care? Mm. Yeah, so care is one thing. Um, vulnerability is also linked to trust. So trust is another thing that we see as important to romantic relationships. And if I never display any vulnerability or weakness to my partner, then they might think that I don't trust them and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, And then most people also desire and value intimacy in romantic relationships. And intimacy requires vulnerability too, because to be intimate with someone, we have to share things with them that we share with very few others. And that always carries a risk that they could use it against us to harm us in some way. Okay. So we have, just to uh, make a tiny summary, you, we've mentioned care, mm-hmm. we have, uh, you know, the value of trust, mm-hmm. and we have this intimacy that, that needs protection that we desire and we value as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are some of the reasons that make vulnerability so important because it facilitates these things. Mm-hmm. Um, if, as you say, these drugs could affect vulnerability, Mm-hmm. What type of vulnerability then you think could be affected by these uh, anti-attachment drugs? Mm. Well, first, I'll just acknowledge an obvious answer that might come to mind, which is that it would affect the post-breakup pain and grief that we often go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we discussed that this could in some way prevent us from benefiting from some instrumental goods like reflection understanding and building resilience but I mean interestingly we we do already do this to some extent so we might use alcohol or antidepressants or other drugs to numb some of that pain post-breakup pain right so uh, so it would be like breakup drugs uh, act like a numbing device for our grief so pretty much mimicking our use of uh, alcohol or other means to escape reality that we already use, um, mm. right? Mm. And uh, there is potential of this, like for these drugs, mm. uh, to be far more accurate and maybe even, you know, without any side effects of other means we currently use. So mm. not a depressive state following, a, you know, a big night out drinking so uh we could still see you know there might be a better way of doing it maybe these drugs will uh take that you know annoyance away yeah so i I think from that point of view that that would be a good reason to develop these drugs to avoid those negative side effects but still reduce that post-breakup pain um but my view is that um anti-attachment drugs 
actually have a wider potential scope mm. to affect vulnerability in love and relationships rather than just at that um, post-breakup stage. Right, so um, understanding this basically is not just about the emotional pain of a breakup that arguably could be, uh, you know, mm. improved uh, by these drugs. So mm. is there, in your opinion, something else attached to that previously mentioned vulnerability that we're trying, you know, to keep? Uh, w what is this? Yeah, so I think that the important worry for me here is with the potential for anti-attachment drugs in their capacity to allow us to switch off our attachments at will, mm. to diminish our vulnerability in relationships and in turn the meaningfulness of our relationships. So anti-attachment drugs, if we think about what attachments are, so um, Monique Wanderley gives a really good account of, uh, of what she calls security-based attachment. So according to her account, we develop attachments to people um, and we can develop attachments to things as well. And these attachments affect our sense of security. So we experience the particular person we're attached to as a felt need um, and our well-being and our general sense of security suffer without them. So when we're without those people who we have attachments to, we might feel unbalanced, unsettled or distressed. So, I mean, if you consider when people refer to their partner as their rock, I think is a right. <laughs> illustration of that. Um, and these attachments also help to give meaning to our lives. They really matter to us and they have the power to make a difference to our lives through influencing our actions and important decisions that we make and also through improving our well-being and quality of life. And that, of, of course, makes us vulnerable. So our attachments in their capacity to make a difference to us have the power to change our lives f for the better or for the worse. And obviously, currently, we can't just switch off these attachments at will. And if we could do this with an anti-attachment drug, I would argue that we wouldn't be vulnerable in the same way and that the power, this power of our, that our attachments have to make a difference to our lives would be diminished in some way. So I've been trying to think of an analogy for this. It's not a perfect analogy, but if you imagine a musician, um, so she really en enjoys performing in the studio, but it just doesn't compare to performing in front of a live audience. There's something about the vulnerability of playing live in front of an audience, which she can't get from playing in the studio. Um, so obviously not a perfect analogy because there's a few variables at work there. Um, but what I'm getting at is that there's something about vulnerability and something about there being something at stake there, which for the musician makes performing live more meaningful to her. Um, yeah, I like, I like how you're basically portraying this as mm. if we remove the capacity of vulnerability in a loving relationship and everything that mm. this entails because it's not just about being in a state of vulnerability it's about everything else how it relates to care how it relates to trust how it relates to how we conceive ourselves how we build ourselves mm. and how we relate to others so mm -hmm. it is just not about you know being able to switch off 
mm. uh, certain attachments. It has to do with, you know, mm. an experience of love, how we as humans experience mm-hmm. love. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so my thought is that with, with the anti-attachment drugs, if I know that I can just switch off my attachment to somebody at will, then there's just less at stake there for me. Yeah. And so my whole experience of the relationship will be different and I won't be vulnerable in the sense that I would be if I couldn't do so. Um, Yeah, so although we do have good reasons to develop anti-attachment drugs, which we've mentioned, such as a potentially more effective way of relieving our emotional pain um, and the power to be able to intervene in those problematic cases where attachments are unhealthy and dangerous, I want to argue that we shouldn't develop these drugs in the form of an attachment dissolving drug, something as powerful as that, um, because they have the potential to diminish that vulnerability that we find in loving relationships. And that would diminish other important goods which vulnerability gives rise to and which make our relationships meaningful, like care and like trust and intimacy. Um, And then... I mean, there's not time to discuss this, but I think there's a wider point to consider here too, which is if we have this kind of safety net, which diminishes our vulnerability, might we begin to lose our capacity to be vulnerable to each other on a more general sense? Um, and, that, and that speaks to a wider concern about technology and chemical enhancements and their, their potential to affect parts of human nature, which are, are really important to us. I I mean, I'm fascinated with this discussion, Mm. Uh, honestly. I think it's a very interesting topic for sure. I have loads of other things that I wish I had time to cover. Mm. But I think that, uh, you know, that um, closing bit that you just said leaves us with an interesting question, some food for thought about Mm. how technology and the development of these chemical adjustments can interfere with our human nature and make us question if it is worth it. Should we actually make these trade-offs and at what cost? So um, eventually takes us to the question about, you know, the more philosophical question of what constitutes human nature and, you know, what exactly is making us more or less human? So thank you, Sophie, for a very stimulating conversation for sure. Thanks, Gabby. It was a pleasure to have you. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Uh, That's all for today. Until next time. The Idea Pod is produced by the Interdisciplinary Ethics Applied Center at the University of Leeds. Find out more at ahc.leeds.ac.uk slash ethics. Music composed and conducted by Josh Armitage.